All right, guys, let's uh, give, the, give the Will Norville band a hand. They go, these guys are awesome. All right, well, you know, last night we, we kind of got off to a good start. Today, I, I actually have some good news for you guys. Staten Island is about to be known for something other than the garbage dump. I'm very excited about this. I read it. On an art- in an article in, like, CNN or something. Staten Island has just begun construction on the world's largest Ferris wheel. I know. Exciting, right? Seriously, it's going to be bigger than the London Eye. It's going to be bigger than the Singapore Flyer. It's going to be, you know, huge. It's going to be right next to Staten Island Yankee Stadium, uh, which is where, like, the single-A Yankees play. <laughs> okay, but, you know. But it, it's the world's large. Who, who doesn't love Ferris wheels? Everyone's like, me. I know, right? It's lame. So we got the garbage dump in a Ferris wheel. Uh, they should have built the, garbage, the Ferris wheel on the garbage dump. That would have been cool. Because then you know, because it's like a landfill, so you don't know if it's going to be stable. So every time you go up, you take your life into your hands. That's like, all right, extreme sports, Staten Island style. Yo, Tony Ann, you like it up there? You know, serious. It would be great. All right, so when I was growing up, my neighborhood was three blocks, okay? We had Claremont, then my block was called Gansvort, which no one could ever spell correctly, and the next mount- block over was Mountain View. After Mountain View, there was a cemetery, uh, and so, like, our, our neighborhood kind of ended there. But in those three blocks, we had about 80 or 90 teenagers, a lot of kids in my neighborhood. And so we were always getting into trouble. We were always doing things, crazy things. So one day, I'm walking down the street with... Four of the guys in my neighborhood, only one of them I could really say was like my buddy, but the other three guys were just around, so we were hanging out because guys can do that, you know. And so we're walking down the street. It's me and my buddy James, and then these three kids, Chris, Chris, and Jason. And we find a hammock in someone's trash. Okay, now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in New York City, there are not a lot of hammocks. Okay, because, you know, usually for hammocks, you need stuff like trees, which we don't have very many of. So we find this hammock. Only one of the kids knew what it actually was. We're like, what's this, like, weird rope net looking thing? You know, and this kid's like, it's a hammock. I saw one on Gilligan's Island. And I'm like, okay, so we got a hammock. What are we going to do with it? Like, I don't know. I'm like, what are, you, what are you supposed to do with it? He's like, you tie it between two trees and sleep in it. I'm like, that's lame. But so we take the hammock anyway because, you know. We're like 12 or 13. And, uh, and when you're 12 or 13, even lame things can seem interesting at the time. So we go down to the end of, my, of the next block, and there's this like burned out building that like never got fixed my entire childhood. It's just this like shell of a building that's all charred. And behind it is like a steep hill. And there's two trees at the top. There's actually like five trees at the top of the hill. So we're like, hey, there's trees. Let's see if it works. So we, we go up to the, the top of this hill. We tie the hammock between these two trees. They weren't quite far enough, so it was kind of like, you know, slinging down. And so I get in it, and I start kind of like swinging around. And I'm like, okay, this could be fun. Why don't you guys get on each end and swing it? So they start swinging it, and they're doing this. And I'm going like upside down and, you know, just doing this. And then you can only swing it so long in one direction, and you got to go in the other direction, you know. So we're doing this, and it's actually pretty fun because, you know, we're like, practically scraping the ground and then going up like this high and we're like upside down, you know, and it's great. And so 
we're doing this and we're taking turns and we're going like all day long and we're having like a blast. We're like, this is the best day ever with a hammock. I mean, who, who knew hammocks could be fun? And so we're getting near the end of the day and I noticed that one of the ropes is starting to rip. I mean, it's starting to like fray badly. And I'm like, guys, maybe we should stop. You know, I was the voice of reason at, I think I was 13, maybe 14. I'm like, maybe we should stop. And they're like, no, no, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. I'm like, all right. So we do it again. We keep going. We keep going. A little further, little further along, the, the rope is fraying more. I think you see where this is going. And I'm like, guys, this is going to be dangerous. And this kid, Chris, is like, I got to do it one more time, just one more time. So he gets on, and we're spinning it. And he's going faster, faster, faster. And the rope snaps and pew, shoots him out over this hill like he was fired from a slingshot. He went far. And when you go far over a hill, you have a long way down. He lands. He breaks his arm. He's laying on the ground, broken arm. He's like, ah. You know, his, I mean, he shattered his whole upper arm. And the kid could, like, never do anything with his left arm. I mean, he could, but, like, you know, he was kind of useless anyway. Uh, he's in jail. Who cares about his arm? Uh, but anyway, so he, uh, he shatters his arm. And so, of course, in New York City, when something terrible happens and there's a group of kids around, even if they're not involved, they all scatter in different directions. Okay, so James and uh, Jason just take off. And so me and Chris are there helping Chris up. And, of course, there was no such thing as cell phones back then, you know. This was even before, like, those lame cell phones that were, like, this big. You know, this is even before that time. So we actually had to help Chris up, and we walked him home. Now, Chris's dad was a drug addict. I mean, big time. And Chris is, like, I mean, obvious pain. You know, he's trying to fight it back, but the tears are coming down. His arm is, like, he's holding his arm like this. And we knock on the door, and his dad answers the door, and he's high. And, you know, we're all afraid of his dad because his dad was a psycho. So me and Chris are like, um, Mr. Peteroy, your son broke his arm. We're, like, slowly backing up as we tell him. We're afraid he's going to, like, try and kill us because his son is hurt. And uh, he looks at his son. He's like, let me see. And he grabs his broken arm and just starts yanking it. And he's like, no, it's fine. I mean, he's totally and, – and we're like, oh, my, Chris is screaming. Chris's mom was this giant Norwegian woman. She was, like, six foot three, okay? And she comes running out of the kitchen with a huge iron skillet. Get your hands off my son! Bong! I mean, the noise that resounded off this man's skull will be forever in my mind. And we're standing there, me and this other kid, Chris, and we're watching. His eyes roll into the back of his head. He slumps to the ground, and she steps over his body to take her son to the hospital. Okay, and Chris and I are just looking at each other. We're like, that was the best thing ever. You know? like, and she drives away, and then my friend Chris is like, hey, Chris's dad is unconscious. His mom's at the hospital. They left the door open. Let's rob their house. I'm like, dude, you don't rob your friend's house. What's wrong with you? Why do you need to be told this? He's your friend. What do you think he's going to see when he say when he sees you with his stuff? <laughs> hey, you have the same stuff I have, you know, or used to have, you know. But, you know, we're talking about being, you know, one with people today. We're talking about loving people today. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that one of the rules is lo- of loving people is you don't break into their house while their unconscious father is laying in their open doorway. You just don't do it. That's a rule, okay? 
You ever see like these really stupid rules and you're like, man, somebody had to have done that for that to be a rule? You know, like when you see like poison and it's like, don't lick. Really? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's because someone licked the poison and it's like, you, you, know, you just don't, you know. You know, don't stick your finger in the socket. Okay, you know. Exactly. Beware of the open flame. Flames are hot. Don't touch it. But anyone, you still want to touch it, don't you? Like, you know, anyone ever play the hot coal game? You reach into the fireplace and grab a hot coal and you're kind of like juggling it and passing it back and forth to your friends. You know, that sounds like a fun game. But if you hold on to it just a little too long, it's no longer fun. And you're like, ow, my hand is burned, and there's no relief, okay? But, you know, we're talking about loving people. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And last night we talked about loving God. We talked about trusting God, okay? Now today we're going to talk about, you know, what's the best way to show God that we love him? I think you see where I'm going with this, right? What's the best way that we can show God that we love him? And I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. It's not the Sunday school trifecta. Read the Bible, go to church, pray. Okay, anyone notice like 90% of the Sunday school questions can be answered by one of those three answers? Read the Bible, go to church, pray, right? But it's not that. Okay, those are all good things and we should do those. But the best way we can show God that we love him is to love baby seals, right? No, people, Okay. The best way we can show God we love him is to love people who he created. People are his most valuable treasure, okay? And the best way we can show God we love him is to love the people that he's created. As a matter of fact, John, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. If you do not love, you do not know God, for God is love. That's pretty straightforward, right? So if you don't love people... You don't love God. First John goes on to say in, I think, 421 that, uh, you know, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. Well, tell us how you really feel, John. Okay, you're a liar. And he goes on to say, how, if you cannot love your brother who your eyes have seen, how can you love God who you, you can't see? He says it's not possible. Okay, in another part of 1 John, he says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. And remember last night I said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And that a lot of times when Scripture uses the word the truth, it's actually talking about Jesus. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar, and Jesus is not in you. It's very important to God that we love people. It's very important. To God that we love people. And, uh, but we're not going to start out like really tough on this one. Like, I'm not going to talk about all people today, you know, because, you know, and it's, it's difficult because people are irritating, right? People could be annoying. People could be mean, okay? And it's hard to love people. But we're going to start out today just by talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, let's see. John. I love John, by the way. John 13, 34, he says, By this, all men will know you're my disciples. If you, is it up there? Ah, it's going to try and trick you. If you love one another. Okay, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Notice it doesn't say anything about good deeds. It doesn't say 
All men will know you're my disciples if you help an old lady across the street, which is a good thing. All men will know you're my disciples if you wear a giant cross on your T-shirt. Okay. All men will know you're my disciples if you rescue kittens and blind puppies. Okay. It doesn't say any of that. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. It says, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How you treat each other is what people notice. And what, one thing I've noticed in this world is people are always looking at Christians. And it's usually for the wrong reasons. Whether it's Christians who can't get along, whether it's Christians who are doing something un- unchristlike in the name of Christ. I was at church last week, and my pastor is talking about a buddy of his. You know how when you, you grow up with a kid next door and he's kind of like your lifelong friend? Even though you may lose a little touch with him later in life, but, you, you know, it's like your lifelong friend. I've known Johnny since we were two, you know. His, one, his buddy, one of his lifelong buddies, happens to be a gay guy, okay? And he was heading in to the Democratic National Convention, which was in New York City. And on his way into the Democratic National Convention, there was a church group from, I think, Buford, Georgia, outside the Democratic National Convention protesting. And they think that it shows the love of Christ to throw tomatoes at people that are entering the Democratic National Convention. Especially, you know, people who don't have the same sexual orientation as they do. So he texts my pastor saying, hey, I just went into the Democratic National Convention and I got hit with a tomato thrown by the Baptists. How do you think that makes Christians look? I can't imagine a scenario where throwing fruit at another man shows the love of Christ. I can't even imagine these guys thought it was a good idea. Praise the Lord, brother. This will show them God's love. You know, how, how is that a good idea? Is there anyone else here with me this morning that when they hear that, they think the word morons? Right? Yeah. They are not showing people the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, they're drawing people away from Christ with that kind of behavior because it's not loving. Okay, hate is never going to be a way to show someone God's love. I mean, you can see the irony in the statement. But this is what these people are doing, and people are always looking at Christians for the wrong reasons. But when we as Christians love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have fellowship and community, people look at that, and it's attractive to them, and all of a sudden they're looking at Christians for the right reasons. When I was in seminary, we told you guys last night, um, Tim and I and Tim's brother Johnny and my buddy Rick, we all lived in a house off campus. And, you know, one, one year we're going back home for uh, our Christmas break. And during the Christmas break, the Knicks happened to be playing the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia. So Tim got tickets and I drove down with my best friend and his younger brother. And, you know, Philly's only like an hour and a half away. It's like going from here to Dallas or something. And so... Uh, we go in there, we go down, we, we watch the Sixers game. Now, my best friend is not a Christian. He's a kid I grew up with, best friend, not a Christian, his brother, not a Christian. And I'm telling him about Tim's dad being a pastor and all of this. So we get to the game, we get through the game, we're on our way home, and my friend says this to me. Now, you know, at this time I'm in seminary. I've been a Christian since I was like seven. And he goes, you know, your friend Tim, his dad is the first person I've ever met that calls himself a Christian that acts like it. I was saying this to me. I'm like, uh, what about me? You know, obviously not. Apparently there was something in me that he saw that was unchristlike at the time. 
Okay. But he says, your friend Tim's dad is the only one, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean by that, Josh? I mean, you know, how do you deduce that during the course of a basketball game? He's like, well, let me tell you. You know, the 76ers have really scantily clad cheerleaders, as a lot of teams these days would. And he goes, when they came out, every single time they came out, your friend's dad turned around and started talking to the guy behind him. He started cleaning his glasses. He was looking at his program. He did everything he could to not dishonor his wife, and this is a non-Christian person talking, and stare at those cheerleaders. I thought it never even occurred to me. I mean, you know, or Tim or any of us. It's not like we were like, <gasps> you, know, you know, we weren't like oogling and drooling and stuff. But, you know, they dancing and putting on their show and we were watching. Okay. But he goes, this guy must really love his wife. And somehow in the course of a basketball game, he saw the love of Christ in Tim's dad. And it was attractive to him. Okay. And that's what. It needs to be when, when we're, you know, when we're with each other, when we're together. People need to see the love of Christ in us. People need to see that Christians are willing to stick together. They're willing to stick up for one another. They're willing to love each other even when it's hard. They're willing to accept people no matter how they look or how they act. Okay, because these are their brothers and sisters. And when that happens, people love to see that. Okay, I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. This is a great passage that kind of illustrates what we're talking about. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And this is all about community and fellowship with your fellow believers. Everybody needs someone in their life that's going to be there for them. Okay, and in this youth group, you guys have a great opportunity to be there for one another. Okay, even if you don't go to the same school, even if you don't know each other that well right now, you always have something very, very important in common. You're all sons and daughters of the King of Kings. You're all Christians. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the most important thing that could ever happen, and you have that in common. So even if you don't like the same sports teams, or even if you don't like the same colors, or even if you're not in the same grade, or even if you're not the same race, okay, you can still be there for one another and show each other the love of Christ. And when people see that, when people who aren't Christians see you behaving that way, it's attractive to them. All of a sudden, they see something that's missing in their lives that they didn't even know they were missing. They're like, wow, these people have people that care about them, people that aren't even related to them. They don't even go to the same school. These, they, they really care about each other. I need that. I want that. How do I get that? But if you're always making fun of each other, if you're always gossiping about each other, oh, my gosh, did you hear what Becky did? Okay. You know, if you're, if you're doing that, or did you see what he was wearing? What was he thinking? You know, if you're doing that, they're going to come in and say, wow, this is just like school, and school's not that good to me. Why would I want to be here? You know, these guys act no different than they do in Belton or in Temple or whatever other school is around here. I only know those are the two big ones. These kids act no different than anyone else there. 
why should I trust this God that they say they're worshiping? He obviously hasn't done anything for them. Okay, but this passage here, Solomon mentions four things because we need each other. We may not know it, but we need each other. He mentions four things. The first thing he mentions is that two are better than one. They have a better return for their work. You guys like the, the new light above the pool table? It's perfectly centered. Okay, well, Tim and I hung that the other day. And uh, after we, we had to hang it, you know, because the, the uh, wood above it is only in certain places. So we couldn't hang the light directly centered above the table. So we had to hang the light as close as we could and then move the table. The table was like stuck by years of grease and teenage sweat and whatever to the floor. And I couldn't move it. I couldn't budge it. Okay. And then Tim comes over and the two of us together couldn't budge it. You could probably move it now because it's, it's been moved and, uh, you know, all the suction has been released. Um, but we had to get like two dollies and we had to hoist it up into the air before it would move. But even if I only had one dolly, I wouldn't be able to do it. Only two people could have did that job or more. So when two people can do something that one can't, they have a better return for their work. Okay. When you do something together with someone else with purpose, you have a better result. Anyone ever like get a better grade after going to a serious study group? I'm not talking about a study group that's actually like, you know, Let's watch the new Avengers movie and then gossip all night, but an actual study group. And then you're like, wow, I, I actually learned something and I'm going to do better on my test. You get better results when there's more than one person. Okay, he also says that they can help each other up when they fall. Okay, we're all going to face struggles. Some of you might be in the middle of struggles. Some of you might have fallen recently. And I don't, I don't mean literally, okay? But I mean figuratively. And so if you are struggling, if you had something terrible happen in, in your life or your family life, or if you just really messed up in sin, you have a friend that can help you up. But Solomon says, I pity the fool that falls and has no one to help him up. Wait, that, no, that's Mr. T. I'm sorry. He says, I pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Okay. Yeah. A-team. You know, TiVo, if, if you haven't seen it, best show ever. And uh, so, but it's really to be pitied. If, if you are struggling and you don't have anyone you can go to, Solomon says you're to be pitied. But here in this room, you have like a hundred people that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, definitely at least some of them that you can go to if you're struggling. I happen to know firsthand that Dave and Tim are two of the most godly men I've ever met. You will never find men more committed to Christ, more disciplined in their relationship with Christ. They are very godly men. And even if your friends aren't around when you're going through that struggle, one of them will be. And they live to be. Not that they want to see you struggling, but it definitely gives them joy to help you overcome it. And another thing it says, they can keep warm. Now, we don't really come across that. I mean, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you needed someone else's body heat to survive? Anyone? No? This guy right here? Okay, we don't really come across that very often these days. You know, most of us will have, would have a sleeping bag if we were in the mountains. You know, I have one that's rated to like 10 below zero. So I'm never going to need body heat to, to keep me warm. I'm just going to crawl into my sleeping bag and be like, sorry, see ya. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but 
I think what Solomon's talking about here is people that'll stick with you even when it's awkward. Because that would be an awkward thing, right? Two dudes in the mountains, you know, and ooh, our sleeping bags just got stuck under an avalanche. What are we going to do? Well, we'll have to lay down together with body heat to keep us warm. Awkward. Okay. I'm like, sorry, dude. I'm ready to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm totally there. Jesus, come take me now. Okay. It's awkward. So you need people that are going to be willing to help you out even when it gets awkward. Again, I'm not talking about like fart at a funeral awkward. I'm talking about like awkward. Okay. Some of you guys know people who are awkward, right? Everyone, you know, an awkward person, right? Okay, you know, some of you are like looking around, you know, maybe you're looking at the awkward person. Some of you are like, I don't know anyone at all that's an awkward person. That's probably you. Okay, if you don't know anyone who's the awkward person, it's you. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm leaving so you can hate me. It's fine. (laughs) But if you have a friend that's willing to help you even when it's awkward, that's a great thing. When I was a senior in high school, there was a kid who was a freshman. My mom and his mom were, were friends. Now, this kid's name was Craig, and he's the single most awkward person on the face of the planet. Okay, he had narcolepsy, which, if you don't know what narcolepsy is, it's like a disease where you just randomly fall asleep doing anything. And no, it's not like math class narcolepsy. It's like real narcolepsy. It's not, you know, so, like one time we're playing softball, and he's standing in the outfield with his glove like this, and he just falls asleep. He's standing in the outfield, dead asleep. I mean, the ball got hit to him. It literally landed like three feet away from his glove. And he's like, and we're yelling, Craig, get the ball. Craig, get the ball. You know, center fielder had to run all the way over to, you know, we stick him in right field because, you know, not much goes out there. That's where you always stick like the worst player, right? Right field. All right, you're playing right field today. Um, gee, thanks. Um, and so, but Craig was, was really awkward. And, and to make matters worse, his medication caused a personality disorder. So he would fall asleep as Craig, and he would wake up as someone else, okay? And narcolepsy waking Craig was mean, okay? And, but Craig was really different, and he got picked on a lot. And my mom comes up to me one day, and she says, you know, Ron, Craig is struggling up at Wagner. That was my high school. Um, you need to stick up for him when people are picking on him. I'm like, Ma, he's a freshman. I don't even see him. Well, you, you, need, to, you need to stick up for him. You need to, like, make sure he's doing okay. Um, and, you know, she gives you the guilt trip. That's what Jesus would do. And you're like, Mom, Jesus didn't know Craig. Okay, but, um, you know, so I'm like, all right, Mom, it's important to you. It's important to Craig's mom. I'm going to help him. And uh, so, of course, a week later, I see, like, you know, four kids trying to stuff Craig upside down into a trash can. Okay, it happens a lot more than you think. All right, my high school, we had, like, 4,000 kids. My freshman class was like 1,900 kids, and my graduating class was like 900. The other 1,000 are pretty much all in jail, okay? It was not a good place. It was not a happy, you know, place. And uh, as a matter of fact, the week before I rescued Craig from the trash can incident, I found my buddy James stuffed in a locker, like one of the football player lockers, because football players can sometimes be mean too, but none of you guys. Okay, so I'm coming back from basketball practice. It's like 6 o'clock at night, basketball practice is over, and we hear this banging in the, in the locker room. Now, you know, all these big basketball players were seniors, you know, tough guys, and uh, we hear this banging in the locker room, and I'm like, what is that? I don't know. Go check it out. No, you go check it out. 
I'm not checking it out. It's weird banging. No one should be here. You know, and so finally, you know, they kind of shove me along, and I'm like, oh, fine. I, I track down the noise. I open the locker, and there's James. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, Michael John stuffed me in here after second period. Second period? That was like 9.30 in the morning. Why are you still in this locker? He's like, I fell asleep. <laughs> and, and James fell asleep for like nine hours standing up in a locker. I don't even understand how he could handle the smell. It was like wretched. But there he was. And so the, this next week, here's Craig being stuffed in the garbage can. And I, I like, you know, grab one of the kids. I kind of pull him off. I help Craig out. I'm like, guys, leave him alone. What's wrong with you? And in New York, when you stop a bully from bullying, he turns his wrath on you. So now I had four guys that wanted to fight me. And I'm like, fine, I'll fight you all. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. You know, I got to make sure because the beating I would have got from my dad had I not protected Craig would have been worse. And so, you know, they all kind of like, oh, we'll get you. We'll get you. I'm like, whatever. And the next week, I'm helping Craig out again. The next week, I'm helping Craig. I wound up getting in like eight fights my senior year. I mean, I literally was almost suspended like three times because of Craig. But by the end of the year, the entire basketball team was like Craig's personal bodyguards. Okay? The entire basketball team, all these like six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight guys, you know, they see someone messing with Craig. They're like, yo, what up, punk? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and these guys weren't Christians. But they, they saw that, they saw that uh, people were now after me for helping Craig, and they're like, well, you know, if they beat up Ron, he might not be able to play this week, so we better go help Ron. And uh, so, you know, because of this, Craig was able to, like, make it through his freshman year, rel- relatively intact, and, uh, you know, people were able to see, hey, wow, this guy's sticking up for his friend, his super awkward friend. And he doesn't even care. He doesn't care who sees it. He doesn't care if all the cheerleaders think he's a dork for sticking up for this kid. And I didn't. I was like, hey, I'm going to stick up for this guy. If you don't like it, who cares? I got plenty of friends. I don't need you. (laughs) And uh, that's how it was. And then Solomon goes on to say, you know, they can defend themselves. Two, you know, one can be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. And he says a cord of three is not quickly broken. Now, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll give you guys a choice, and this is going to be a very tantalizing choice. I have two illustrations for this, but I don't have time for both. So I have an illustration about a stolen car or about the Welsh version of the Incredible Hulk. What do you want to hear? Wait, if if it's a car, raise your hand. If it's the Welsh Incredible Hulk, raise your hand. I think think the Hulk has it. All right. So I'm leading this mission trip to Wales. And we're in the Rhonda Valley. Dave has probably told you some stories about whales. Uh, we actually went over there together once. But this is with my group in Long Island. And uh, Wales has really narrow streets. It's not like Texas at all. As a matter of fact, I think Wales' philosophy was, let's put all the people in the smallest possible place and then leave the rest of the entire country for the sheep. And there are actually more sheep than people in Wales, so it kind of makes sense, I guess. So these streets are so narrow that cars can't even pass each other in the street. If, if two cars are coming from different directions, one has to pull over so the other could get through. And so we're going down one of these narrow streets. I've got one of the local pastors. He's this little weird English guy named David. He's like this big and, you know. Anyway, he's driving. And he sideswipes this van on the side and pulls the front bumper off it. Then he keeps going like nothing happened. And I'm like, um, Pastor David, I 
think you hit that car. <laughs> He's like, what? Really? No. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure the bumper's laying in the ground right now. And so we stop around the corner, and we get out of the car, out of the van, and I'm like, tell all the kids, I'm like, right, you guys stay here. We're going to go check out the damage and see who we need to reimburse. And uh, so as we round the corner, I see one of the most frightening sights of all time. There's this guy. He's the largest human being I've ever personally encountered, bar none. He's like six foot eight, six foot nine. He's another one of those guys whose muscles, muscles have muscles. Okay, I mean, and he's wearing a shirt that's like made for a four-year-old, so it's even worse. It's like everything is like so tight. I'm like, how is that shirt not ripping? There's not spandex in the world big enough for this. Okay, but he's out there, and he's got two guys that are not quite as big as him, but both a lot bigger than me. And I'm like six one, two thirty. You know, so I'm not small, but I'm not huge. And but these guys are all way bigger. And this one guy is just like he's ginormous, and he's standing in the middle of the street. With the van, anyone ever see how big a van bumper is? He's holding the van bumper in one hand, waving it in the air like a tennis racket. And he's yelling, Ew, knocked off me bumper! I mean, which in, in English is, Who knocked off my bumper? Okay? And he's just yelling it. He's, Ew, knocked off me bumper! Over and over again. And I see this, and immediately I'm frightened. As any rational person would be. But David decides, I'm going to walk towards the psychotic man waving the van bumper and his friends. And I'm like, now I have a choice. Do I let David get murdered all by himself by the incredible Welk? <laughs> okay. Or do I go with him and, you know, f- you know, try and at least help him? I mean, there's we're both going to die. I know this, but I make the decision. He's my brother in Christ. I have to stick up for him. I have to go with him. So we're walking towards this guy. And the clean version of what he says is you have a lot of guts coming here. Okay. Not exact words. And he's like, you know, and David's like, oh, we're really sorry for what we did. And I'm like, we, I wasn't driving. You know, it's like you were driving, but he's like, he's like, and then the guy, all of a sudden, he just starts cracking up. And he's like, I was just joking. I, I, was, I was trying to scare you, and I wanted to see if you would still come. And you did, and I'm really impressed. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for that. I'm going to go change my pants now. You know? And uh, he, he was, like, insane. And it was his version of a joke, which is, I guess, what psychos do. They, they joke while waving 150-pound van bumpers in their hand. You know, I don't know. But when you have people that are willing to watch your back like that, even when the situation is dangerous, and hopefully you will never be staring down a Welsh version of the Incredible Hulk, okay, and have to make that decision. But even if you do, hopefully you'll decide to stand by your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it may not be something physical like that. Usually, more often than not, it's something like verbal, something psychological, where people are verbally bullying someone or gossiping about someone or making them feel really bad. Um, There was this girl in Michigan... I just read it in the paper yesterday that she was nominated to her homecoming court as a joke by some mean kids. Okay. And yeah, it's like, oh, that's terrible. Right. But she decided to go and like prove them all wrong. And every, every school in the, in the area, like 10 other schools all came to the homecoming of this one school and they cheered this girl on for like sticking up to these bullies. Like, they nominated her knowing that, that everyone would laugh at her and make fun of her and all of this. And she went anyway. And all these people stood by her. 
and now she's like like a local kind of hero, and it's a great story because we love to hear about when people are sticking up for each other, don't we? You know, everybody has probably gossiped about someone. Everybody's probably done something mean to someone. Okay, we don't want to be those people, but sometimes we are. But we all love when we hear that the little guy has someone looking out for him. We all love to hear stories like that. You know why? Because it's what we need. God didn't intend for us to go through this life alone. He intended for us to do it together. He intended for us to do it as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, going through our struggles together, going through our triumphs together. Okay, and we can't do that if we don't love each other. You know, Hebrews tells us that, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, let us not give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Okay, does anyone know what a spur is? This is Texas, so hopefully some of you, right? You attach it to your boot. It's like a little wheel with, like, little spikes on it. And when the horse isn't going fast enough, you kind of jam it into the horse's side to urge them forward. It's not really a happy analogy because I can imagine that's a little bit painful, right? You know, how about, you know, you're jogging in, like, football practice and you're not going as fast as the coach wants, so he just takes a spike and jams it into your side? You know, you wouldn't be happy with that. You'd be like, dude, I quit. You know, um, but the horse obviously can't do that because it's a beast and it's not a person. Okay, this isn't like, if you look throughout the Bible, by the way, this is a sidebar. The Bible is not a children's book. Okay, it should be like, uh, you know, minimum rated PG-13. Okay, even the stories that we tell our children are awful. David and Goliath, woo! Okay, kids, here's our story, David and Goliath. And David took the stone and slung it, and it buried itself deep into the Philistine's head, and he fell over and died. Then David ran over and cut his head off, and he held his bloody head up for all to see. And then the Israelites slaughtered the Philistines all the way to the river. Yay, nap time. I mean, it's not a kid's book. Okay, and some of these analogies are meant to say, wow, that's painful. This is a reprimand to Christians. This is saying, hey, you need to be urging each other towards love and good deeds. And if your friend isn't doing it, make it uncomfortable for him. Because true friendship is is for you guys to look at each other and tell each other when you're doing something wrong. If you don't have friends that will ever tell you when you're doing something wrong, you don't have friends, period. They may be nice on the outside. They may be like, rah, rah, we love Danny, woo. But you know what? If Danny is, like, messing around and smoking pot and drinking and all this stuff and he doesn't have any friends that will confront him, Danny doesn't have friends, period, We need to urge each other on. We need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Notice it actually clarifies because people are stupid. Urge one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds because our natural instinct is to spur one another on towards stupidity. Has anyone ever been in a situation where someone has like a really less than intelligent idea but gets everyone to go with it? You know, like I'll give you an example of this. We, uh, we were on a college ski weekend with St. John's University. And one of the frats broke the big window at the end of the hallway, creating lots of damage. But now we had this big open window at the end of the hallway. So one of the drunk frat guys says, hey, I've got a great idea. 
let's take our mattresses, run down the hallway, and jump out the window. And it'll be like sleds down the mountain. And so one numbskull after another does this. I mean, by the end of the thing, first of all, most of the people no longer had beds for the weekend because they didn't feel like dragging their 200-pound mattress, you know, that was soaked with snow and stuff back up the mountain. But we wound up causing, like, I don't say we, I wasn't part of it, but they wound up causing, like, $35,000 damage to the ski lodge, and we were never invited back. Um, but everybody was in on it. One person had a really dumb idea and convinced everyone else. He spurred one another on towards stupidity. And more often than not, as humans, that's where we want to go. But Hebrews is telling us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Because love and good deeds is where God wants us to go. He wants us to love one another. It says don't give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing. Why shouldn't we give up meeting together? Because when you come to a place like this, you can hear Dave encourage you from from on stage. You can hear your, your leaders encourage you in small groups. You can have your friends encourage you, and you get encouraged and built up in your faith. That's why it's so important not to miss youth group. Even when you have, you know, sports and jobs and stuff, come as often as you can because it builds you up in your faith. And that's what we need to do. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Anyone ever sharpen iron? <laughs> yes, and as a matter of fact, I did yesterday. Now, you know, we don't really do, but it's a process. It's difficult. It takes time. Okay? And that's what relationships we forge are. We're sharpening one another through time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like, wow, you heard a good lesson from Ron, and now we're sharp as a tack. No, you know, some of us are still sharp as a bowling ball. Yeah, for those of you that are still asleep, that's not sharp. Um, so, but, but it happens over time. Maybe you're sharp as a bowling ball today, but by the time you graduate high school, you will be sharp as a tack. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you guys need to be sharpening each other. And I'm going to close with this. I don't know how much time is left. I probably went over uh, with all my stories. Uh, but I'm going to close with this. You know, God told us to, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, John told us that they'll know we're his disciples by our love for one another. And here's the vision for you guys. Here's the, this is maybe what you should take away from this. When someone new walks through that door for the first time, and maybe someone's here today for the first time, what my vision is and what Dave's vision is, is that they would see how close you are and how you interact with one another, and how much you love each other, and say, this is home. This is where I want to be. For some reason, these kids that don't have anything in common, you know, or maybe they have a lot in common, but for some reason, these kids love each other, and they've got each other's back. And that's where I want to be. That's what I want to have in my life. And this is a pretty good-sized youth group. If you get enough people coming through that door that see that and get attracted to that and get excited by that, you guys can have a major impact on this city without ever going anywhere. I'm not saying you shouldn't go anywhere. I'm not saying you shouldn't share your faith outside of these walls. Obviously, you should. But you get enough people that see how you guys interact with each other, if it's glorifying to God, if it's honoring to God, and you're going to have people that want to be a part of it. I've seen it happen. There was a little church down the block from where I lived, like 
well, about a you know, block and a half away. And the church itself had like 80 people. Tiny church. And they had a little youth group. And one of the guys from, uh, that was on the basketball team before me, uh, he, was on the youth, he was in the youth group. And uh, he would invite kids in the neighborhood. Remember I told you, we had a pretty large amount of teenagers just in my three blocks. Well, for the rest of the other neighborhoods around, it was even more. And people saw how close our youth group was. And they started coming. And, and by, the time, by the time I was a senior, this little church with 80 people had like 140 kids in their youth group. Okay, and for those of you who are like, so what? We have more than 140. Let me tell you something. Church experts will tell you that a youth group should be about 10% of the adult population. So if you have 3,000 adults in your church, you should have about 300 kids in your youth group. So if you have 80 people, 80 adults in your church, you should have eight kids in your youth group. We had more kids in the youth group than there were people in the church, and it wasn't because the youth pastor was great. There wasn't a youth pastor. There was a volunteer leader. It was like four volunteer leaders. The reason why the group grew was simply because people saw how we interacted with each other. They saw how we stood up for one another. They saw how we loved one another, and they wanted it. That's exciting. That's attractive to people, and that's what you guys can be. That's every youth pastor's vision. But you have to make the decision that you're going to love your friends in this room. You're going to love the people you don't know in this room, even when it's awkward, even when it's difficult, even when they're struggling, because it glorifies God and it draws people to him. So that's it. That's my closing thought. Thank you so much for letting me come out. You guys are great. Uh, Dave's going to come up and give you some closing announcements and stuff. Thank you so much, Ron. Um, all I have to say is I appreciate Ron being here and I appreciate the band being here. And uh, we would love to invite anyone that's new here today to come on Wednesday for what he's talking about, community. Be here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and we'll have dinner provided as well. So you guys are dismissed. Uh, there are some more donuts if you would like to finish them off. Thanks a lot. Let's give Ron a hand once again.